Can't get them apart. There we go. All right. Anybody else need any? I, if I was smart enough, I'd put them up on the screen, but I'm not that smart. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Well, I hope you have your Bible. They will be putting the scriptures uh, up on the, on the screen tonight as we go through this. But if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to the book of Revelation. We are doing a study on Revelation. This will be our third week. We are recording these uh, messages uh, and uh, lessons. So uh, you guys got that going back there? Thumbs up there? Okay. So we're recording these, and if you would like... Uh, if you would like a CD of any particular service or more than one or all of them, there is, and I don't know how many, there will be. All right? I know where I'm planning on going tonight, but we'll see if we can get there or not. But um, if you would like them, there's a, there, back, back where Brother Terry's sitting, there's a table back there, there's some CDs on that table, and there's a, there's a CD order form there. If you would like CDs of this or any other services, just put your name down there. there you know, we've got the price cut to the bone. Amen. They're free, so we're not charging anything for them. But if you would like them, if they're a blessing to you, if you'd like them and like to give them to somebody else, feel free to put your name down, and we'll make some for you, all right? Um, all right, and Revelation chapter 2 is where we're at tonight. We last week began with Revelation chapter 2 talking about the seven churches that are the letter here is written to that Jesus uh, spoke to and had John to write messages to letters to. And we covered three of those churches Last, uh, last Wednesday night, the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, and the church of Pergamos or Pergium. And um, so we covered those. And in that list that I gave you last week, of course, there's a map there that shows the layout of where these churches were located. And uh, also then it also tells the positives. Jesus when he begins the letters to each one of these individual churches, he begins by telling the positive things. And then, you know, if there's something good that he likes about that church, he, tell, he commends them and he tells them um, the positives. He always starts out with the positives. And then he gives the negatives. If there's something that he does not like, he tells them that too. And a lot of you know, a lot of people today, they want that positive side, but they don't want you to tell them the negative side. But Jesus gives both. And then he gives a command to the church, and then he uh, tells them that of their disobedience, what will happen and if they disobey him, and then what will happen if they obey him. So we went through Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergium last week, and my, in my plan tonight is to go get, get through two churches. I said I, said I was going to get through the, the other four, but that impossible, I don't think. 
And, uh, well, it's possible if you, you know, you do like Paul and just preach all night, I guess. But we don't want to do that. But anyway, uh, I plan to do Thyatira and Sardis tonight, okay? So in Revelation uh, chapter number 2, he deals with these next four churches that we are going to deal with. And we should, with the Lord willing, finish it up, finish this part of it up next Wednesday night. But the next four churches, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, all represent churches that are on earth today. Now, there are, there are things in the Ephesian church and in the Smyrna church and in the Pergamos church that also refer to churches today and Christians and believers today as well. But these next four churches come into the area where we're at today because all four of these churches, we have churches that fit in these categories in the earth today and have had for, um, for a couple of centuries. But um, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Thyatira and Sardis all represent churches on earth today because to these churches, these next four churches, Jesus talks about his coming to them. He talks about his coming and he talks about the tribulation. So he deals with these churches concerning his coming and the coming tribulation. And I think that's so important because we today are living in that time when the Lord is getting ready to come. And uh, do y'all, y'all in agreement on that? Amen. But um, we live in a world today of compromise. Isn't that right? People compromise. They forfeit their souls today for possessions and pleasures of this world. And people will compromise what is right just to get what they want and to satisfy their own desires. And that compromise, and here's the danger of that, is that that spirit of compromise that's in the world uh, creeps into churches and into the lives of Christians today. And that's what happened, was happening here in this church at Thyatira. Um, this church is a picture of a church where many were compromising with the world to simply fulfill the desires of the flesh. This church at Thyatira was the smallest, the smallest of the seven churches, but the message that Jesus gave to this church was the longest of all the letters that he wrote to these seven churches. So Jesus has more to say. Does that tell us something? I think it tells us that Jesus has more to say to a compromising church than he does to any other church. And so he deals with this compromising church. In verse 18, if you're there in um, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 and verse 19, And to the angel, Jesus says, And to the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, 
the last are more than the first. Again, Jesus begins this letter with some positives about the church at Thyatira. Now, the, the, the city of Thyatira was known for its trade unions. It had two major industries in that city. They were wool and purple dye. That purple dye was a dye that was very expensive and was, was desired all over the world. And those products brought merchants from every, every place all over the world to Thyatira to purchase those, um, those, those, those things that were produced there. That purple linen, that purple cloth. And uh, when you read the book of Acts, you know, there was a lady there by the name of Lydia in uh, Philippi. Remember when Paul went to Philippi, the first group of people that he became acquainted with was a group down by the river. And he went down there and uh, they were gathered down there and he shared the gospel with them and got that group of people born again. The Lord opened their hearts and they received Christ and were saved. They were the first converts in Philippi. And the scripture says that there was a woman there. The, the main lady there that got saved was a woman by the name of Lydia. Who was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. And so she gets born again. And we don't know this for sure. But very possibly Lydia took the gospel message back to Thyatira and shared Christ with those there, her and her family. And very possibly the church at Thyatira was started and planted by Lydia, a woman. Amen. Some people might would have a problem with that, but God uses women. Amen. All right, so Jesus here is, is speaking to this church at Thyatira, and he begins by identifying himself as the Son of God, the Son of God. His title, you know, he's, he, he's, he goes by the title. He's, he's given the title of Son of Man many times, but when his, when his title Son of Man is given, it refers to his humanity. It refers to his incarnation. But here he, he uses the title Son of God. He says that to the angel or to the messenger of the church at Thyatira, these things says the Son of God. The, 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 the title of Son of God here emphasizes his deity, that he is divine, that he is God. And he identifies himself as deity because he's coming to this church in judgment. Now, uh, we know that from what he says here. He says that he, he has eyes. He's described as having eyes like a flame of fire. His feet are like fine brass. Eyes like, like a flame of fire speak of judgment. Those fiery eyes speak of the fact that he's angry. He sees and he knows what's going on and what's taking place in the church at Thyatira. And he, he has fire in his eyes because of what's taking place. He's angry at what's going on in this church. 
Now, somebody said, well, does Jesus get angry? You remember he went into the synagogue one time and, and was there and started to minister, and there was a man with a withered hand that was in the synagogue, and uh, they were looking. The Pharisees and the religious leaders were there, and they were just watching to see if he was going to heal that guy on the Sabbath day so they could accuse him. And the Bible said that Jesus looked around about them on them with anger he was angry because of the hardness of their heart he had some fire in his eyes on that day and so the 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 son of god is 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 described as having fire in his eyes and uh, his feet his feet are like fine gra- fine brass which which typifies uh, judgment and is a symbol of judgment in the scripture. So he's coming to this church to deal with what's going on there. And he says in verse 19, he says, I know your works and I know your, your works, your love. He lists six things here that he knows that they are doing. He said, your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So the the church here at Thyatira was a was very active. They were a working church. They were active in their community. They were serving others. And Jesus here begins this letter with a commendation to them and um, talks about this, uh, you know, gives them the positive things that are happening here in the church. And he, he commends them for this, for their works and their love and their faith and their service and their perseverance. And he even said that their works and their service had increased and had expanded. In other words, they hadn't become slack in their working for the Lord, but they were, they were doing a lot. They had a lot of stuff going on in this church. I mean, what more could a church want from its members if you read this about how they were working and their works were even increasing? Most churches and most pastors would love to hear these words from the Lord Jesus Christ concerning their church. This church, Thyatira, was meeting the social needs of the community. I'm sure they had food ministries. They provided help for the needy. The church was filled with activity and energy. They had a large congregation. Everything seemed to be going well. They had a, probably had a good name in the community of, community of helping and doing a lot of things. But there was a problem in this church in spite of all the good works that they were doing. And how many knows that Jesus, you know, Jesus looks at our good works and he knows what we're doing, but there's some more things that there are things that are more important than just works that we can do. I mean, good works will not save you. Good works will not get you to heaven. Amen. All right? But there was a problem in this church. And in verse 20, he says, you know, you've done all these things. I know all your works and everything. But he said, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Now, what could he possibly have? He's got a complaint against this church. 
So what could he have against them? Sounds like a good church to me, just reading that far. But then when he says this, I have a few things against you. Here's his complaint. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and to, do, to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Here's the complaint that Jesus has for this church at Thyatira. They're tolerating, they're allowing a false prophetess to teach in the church. And he calls her that woman Jezebel. Now that's probably not her actual name, Jezebel. But Jesus is referring to her as Jezebel because it's, she's called Jezebel because it's symbolic. It's a symbolic name that spoke of her character and comparing her with the Jezebel of the Old Testament. We're well familiar with, I think all of us are, with the Jezebel of the Old Testament, the wife of Ahab. She was a very wicked, ungodly, manipulative, controlling person. Amen? And that spirit of Jezebel, you know, I mean, Jezebel was a, um, we won't go into all the details about her, but the spirit that controlled Jezebel in the Old Testament, that spirit, that evil spirit is still alive today and, uh, and is influencing and controlling a lot of people. And so Jesus refers to this, this woman in this church as Jezebel. Using that name, the church had appointed her. She's a woman that is being controlled by an evil spirit and doing things to corrupt this church. But they have appointed her and they are allowing her to teach and to seduce the people in that church away from the correct teaching of the Word of God. That's what was going on here in the church. Jesus knew it, and he was displeased with what was going on. The Bible says, Jesus said, that woman Jezebel calls herself a prophetess. She calls herself a prophetess. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess. Jesus had not called her, but she called herself. And she proclaimed herself to be a prophetess, but she was not. She was promoting herself. She was boasting and exalting herself as being a prophetess of the Lord. But in reality, she was a false teacher controlled by an evil spirit. And I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of them out here today. A lot of people self-proclaimed prophets. YouTube is full of them. Self-proclaimed prophets and apostles. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I, do you believe, Brother Rick, do you believe in the fivefold ministry gifts? Absolutely. But you're not going to have to boast and exalt yourself and edify yourself and say, I'm prophet this and I'm prophet that. If you are a called prophet of God, your ministry will speak for itself. Let God exalt that. Amen. 
but we don't have to exalt ourselves in that way. But she is, uh, she's, she's like a lot today. She was, she was claiming to be a prophet of God, but in reality, she was not a true prophetess. And so what's she doing? She's teaching in this church at Thyatira, and she's influencing. Jesus said that she is teaching and seducing my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So what, she's, what she is doing here is she is influencing and seducing the saints she is encouraging them to uh, continue in, and this was a paganistic culture, of, uh, you know, there in Thyatira before the church came in, and the church um, was planted. People got saved and came out of their idolatrous worship and lifestyles. But here, this woman is teaching them and encouraging the saints there in this church to go ahead and continue their pagan worship. They can participate in those pagan feasts and go along with the immorality that's taking place and that was practiced by these religious cults at that time. Amen. And, and that's exactly what was going on in these, these ungodly pagan cults. There was a lot of sexual, uh, ungodly activity that went on in the worship of those gods. And so this woman prophetess was teaching in this church and was telling them they could still be Christians. They could still, you know, God would still love them. They would could still continue to, to go to heaven and all this, but it was okay if they mixed their pagan idolatrous worship with the worship of God. Oh, that, does that sound familiar? They could, they could go ahead and, and, and participate in what was going on in the ungodly idolatrous feast and still be a part of the family of God. This woman Jezebel in Thyatira, what she did was she had broken down all boundaries of moral separation from the wicked world. In, in other words, ladies and gentlemen, it was an unholy and an ungodly mixture. We talked about the, the doctrine of Balaam a little bit last week, but this was an unholy and an ungodly mixture. That was the very same thing that the Jezebel in First and Second Kings did. She, she and Ahab, she married Ahab, or Ahab married her, and she was a Baal worshiper and she introduced, Jezebel introduced the worship of Baal into Israel and led God's people astray into the, away from the Lord and into the worship of Baal. That's exactly what this woman in this church was doing as well. The same spirit was operating in her life, that spirit of Jezebel. She taught believers that there could, that, that there could, didn't have to to be any separation. She taught believers that they could reach the world more easily by associating and fellowshipping with the world. We hear that a lot today. 
Well, you've got to join the world and be a part of the world to win the world. We're never going to win the world by being a part of the world. The Bible tells us as believers, come out from among the world and be separate. Amen? We, we, there is separation from the world. We're not isolated from the world. But ladies and gentlemen, as a New Testament church, as born-again believers, we are separate. We're to be separated from the world. John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, there can't be an unholy mixture of the worldly practices and the sinful practices of this world and Christianity. We've got people today, we've got those today in, in, in high places in, in, in the, within the church world that are trying to merge together all religions, that one spirit of that one world church is, is, is rearing its head today. We have those that are trying and saying that, that, that they can merge or we should merge together Islam and Christianity and just call it Chrislam. That is that spirit of Jezebel, that unclean, unholy. You cannot merge. You cannot merge Christianity and Islam together. We do not serve the same God. Our God, Allah, is not our God. Allah has no son. Are you listening to me? But our God and our Heavenly Father has a son by the name of Jesus Christ who is the only begotten Son of God. You can't mix those two together. And that's exactly what was taking place in the church at Thyatira. She led many in the congregation. She had a big following. And she had led many in the congregation to follow her. And they were brazenly refusing to repent of their actions. It was a moral rebellion. Jesus said there in verse 21, he said, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. And when it speaks of the sexual immorality, I think he's more so talking about the spiritual than the physical. That was a, an unfaithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the, the prophets in, in the Old Testament uh, rebuked and preached and prophesied to the Israelites and condemned them for their whoredoms. And you know what that was a spiritual immorality. It was spiritual adultery. They were, they were, they were being unfaithful to Jehovah God. And you cannot be a little bit of the world and love the world and be a little bit of a Christian. Come on, somebody needs to say, man, this 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 is not popular today, but it is Bible. We have to be live lives that are separate unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus had given them space to repent, but they refused. This woman, this prophetess, refused to repent of her actions. It was a moral rebellion, and the congregation was either unwilling or unable to do anything about it. Whatever, was to, whatever the situation was, the, the letter, of course, is addressed to the angel or the messenger or the pastor of the church. The pastor was not doing anything about this situation. Pastors must be very careful 
who and what they allow in their pulpits to be preached and to be taught. Amen? We have to be very careful about that. I mean, I just don't allow anybody or everybody pray about it, you know, who, who we have to preach and, and uh, I have to know about their ministry or what they're going to teach or preach because I, as the shepherd of this church, am responsible for what's preached behind this pulpit. But here was a situation that was going on in this church, and yet nothing was going, nothing was being done about it. It was being tolerated by the pastor and by the congregation. And so Jesus gave them space to repent. He gave them grace. He gave them time. He gave them a space there to repent, but they refused. To repent. All right? We talked about what repentance is. Are we all familiar with repentance? Repentance is what? It's to turn around. It's to change. It's a change of your mind, a change of your attitude, a change of your direction. And to make it simple is you stop doing what you're doing and you start doing what God wants you to do. That's repentance. Amen. And Jesus gave them the space to repent. See, let me tell you, you know, God is so patient, and God is so long-suffering, and God takes no pleasure in severe discipline. Amen? But there comes a point. There comes a point when God says, that's enough. I've given you space. I've given you grace. I've given you opportunity. And he always gives the sinner or the saint that is, that is doing wrong, God always deals with them and gives them ample opportunity to repent and to change. But if they refuse to repent, there comes that place God says, that's it. That's enough. I've given you opportunities to repent and to change, but you refused to do so. So then what happens then? Judgment has to come. And in verse 22, that's what happens here in this church. Again, we must remember, ladies and gentlemen, that he's talking to, he's dealing with a church. He's dealing with a church here and not with the world. He's not writing this letter to all them down at Cousins. Amen? He's not writing this letter to all those that are in the honky-tonks and the hoot-nannies and the clubs. No, he's writing this letter to the church of the Lord Jesus, one of the churches that he is the head over. And he says in verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her, this Jezebel prophetess, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. I told you these last four churches, he deals with his coming, and he deals with tribulation. Into great tribulation, listen, unless they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. He said, I'll cast her and the followers of her into a sickbed. 
It's a bed of discomfort, sickness, injury, and it refers to, what that refers to is extreme and intense suffering. This is the judgment that would come. Her bed of pleasure would be turned into a bed of sickness and suffering. If this Jezebel spirit, this worldliness and immorality is not rejected, this church and, and all the churches in history that follow the example of this church, Jesus said they will go into great tribulation. What does that mean? They will not go in the rapture. Kind of somber stuff. But it's, do you understand? I, you know, I always say, you've heard me say this before, my prayer is that everybody that's a part of Abundant Life Family Church, the, the day after the rapture, anybody that shows up here will be a visitor. Because I want all you to be ready to go. I want abundant, I want this building to be an empty building with nobody showing up the morning or the day after the rapture of the church. But there will be multitudes of churches, ladies and gentlemen, that the day after the rapture takes place will still be filled with people that will go into great tribulation because why? Because they have refused the call of Jesus to repent of their wrong direction, of their wrong way, of their false teaching, of their worldly sinful lifestyles. He said that he would kill her children with death, referring to those who follow her teaching would not repent. They would suffer spiritual death, and they would suffer the second death. As well, they would lose their soul if they continued to follow this false prophetess and this doctrine and this teaching. Hallelujah. He says, all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. So look at verse number 24. I'm not moving as fast as what I thought I would. Verse number 24. Now he's going to speak to the rest of those other than the ones that Jezebel and her followers. Now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine. Who are these? These are those who are not following this false providence. These are those who are still living for the Lord. You have not, you do not have this doctrine. You have not known the depths of Satan, as they say. I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. So what was he saying here? There, here's the good news about this whole thing here. Okay, we've told you what, what's going to happen to Jezebel. We've told you what's going to happen to her followers if they don't repent. But Jesus is saying here, there is a faithful remnant in that church. There's still some people in that church that have not followed that false teaching, but they're living for the Lord. Amen. And you know what Jesus said to this faithful remnant? And I, I just want to say there's all, that God's always had a faithful remnant. Amen? I said he's always had a faithful remnant. And Jesus told this remnant, he told them, he said, hold fast till I come. 
hold tightly to the basics of our Christian faith and view with extreme caution any new teachings that would turn us away from the Word of God. That's what he's saying. Hold fast what you have till I come. Don't get sidetracked. Don't follow something new because, listen, we've said it before. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Amen. Stay with this old book right here. Glory to God. Everything will be all right. We don't, uh, we're not following after some kind of a new revelation. The first thing, you know, the first thing when you, if you hear somebody say, well, you know, here's, here's what God showed me, but now you won't find this in the Bible. This takes a special revelation. You better run as fast as you can to get away from that because if it can't be backed up by the Word of God, it, it doesn't matter who what prophet said it, what preacher said it. If it cannot be backed up by the Word of God, it is not true. Amen? He said, hold fast what you have till I come on the basics of the Christian faith. And he said, I, there, I'll put no other burden, no other burden upon you. Hold fast what you have. His Word, His commandments have not changed. The Bible has not changed. The New Testament has not changed. God's attitude towards sin has not changed. And so we need to get a hold of the basic truths and fundamentals of the Word of God and hold on to them in these last days. Amen. Praise God. Then he gives the promise to the overcomer, and he says, And he who overcomes and keeps my works to the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed in pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you know what he's promising to these, to these overcomers? He said, I will give you, those who overcome, how many won't be an overcomer? He's promising this to those, faith, that faithful remnant that was in that church that had not followed after the false doctrine. He said, you, if you will overcome, I'll tell you, here's what's going to happen. I'll give you power over nations. You will rule and reign with me. I want you to know Jesus is coming back to this earth. He's going to conquer all the forces of evil. He's going to crush all the resistance, amen, to righteousness. There won't be no gay pride parades in that day. Hey, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. There won't be no, no, no abortionists cussing people out in that day because Jesus is going to break all that down like broken pottery and sweep it under the rug and set up his kingdom and he's going to rule and reign in righteousness and you know what he said you that overcome you that stand true to me you that make it through hallelujah and hold on to the truths of the world the word of God you are going to rule and reign with me hallelujah Woo! look out Nancy Pelosi I might just have your job praise God Glory calls for a shout of praise, doesn't it? Amen. The saints who overcome in this life are going to be given positions of authority to rule the nations with Jesus Christ on this earth in the millennial reign. 
Paul said we'll judge angels. We will rule on this earth the immortal glorified saints of God. I can't wait till that happens. Amen. And this will be the book that we governed by and that we live by and Jesus said if you overcome to those who overcome I will give him the morning star I will give him that that morning star somebody said what is the morning star how many knows who the morning star is Amen. Well, it's Jesus in case you didn't know. And he says as much in Revelation 22 and 16. He says that he is the bright and morning star. And I'll tell you, you know what I what he's saying here? Just as that morning star appears in the heavens right before the dawn, when the night is the darkest and the world is at its bleakest point, so in the same way Jesus is going to appear as the morning star to rapture his church to heaven and the overcomer here is promised that he is going to get out of here and go to be with Jesus the overcomer will not face the tribulation only those who can refuse to repent will go through the tribulation but those who overcome and follow the Lord we're going to see that bright and morning star one day and we're leaving this world in a blaze of glory can I get an amen thank God for the rapture for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ Woo! amen so be a part of that faithful remnant let's look at chapter 3 for a moment move right on got a few more minutes chapter 3 there's only 6 verses to cover here can we do it Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, he's going to talk about the church, talk to the church at Sardis. This is a church that has a great reputation. But Jesus is about to tell them how undeserved they are of the reputation that they have. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Jesus tells John, now write... Write to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We've already mentioned what that refers to. Jesus says, I know your works and that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Woo! Right off the bat, nothing good. He just cuts right to the chase. No word of commendation, no word of praise, nothing good whatsoever is said about this church at Sardis. Listen, when when I'm studying this and everything, I'm thinking, you know, we don't want to be this church. No, 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 we don't want to be this church because he has nothing to say good about it. He just cuts right to the chase and he tells the problem of the church at Sardis and it's one of the most serious problems that a church can have. It was dead and it was lifeless. They had works They had programs, they had activities, they had a reputation of being alive. How do you know they had all these programs going? Because he said they had a name that they were alive. They were doing a lot of stuff, but it wasn't amounting to anything. 
They had a reputation of being alive and progressive and prosperous. They were well attended. They were growing. They probably boasted of having multiple campuses and impressive buildings. But Jesus said, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. You're dead. I thought it was interesting when I was studying this the other day that the Greek, the Greek word for name there, you have a name that you're alive, is anoma, and it's the word from which we get our English word denomination. That's interesting to me. You know why? Because there's a lot of church denominations that do a lot of stuff and have a lot of people, but their denomination and the churches in them are dead. Amen? Years ago when I read this, I, I immediately I said, Lord, that has to be the Pentecostal church. We have the name that we're alive. We have the name that we got it all, that we're full gospel. But so many today are dead. I think we better move on. There's a lot of people proud of their group, of their denomination, you know. Oh, I'm church of God. I'm assembly of God. I'm Methodist. I asked a guy one time over here when we were in the warehouse. I was trying to get him to come to church. I'm Methodist. Well, that means nothing. He said, well, I was actually, I was vaccinated Methodist, but he said it didn't take. I said, well, you need to get right with the Lord. I said, that's what it's all about, being born again. I said, it's not about your denomination. It's about an experience with Jesus Christ. They had a form of godliness but no power. It was void, a church that was void of spiritual life and energy. There was no spirit of God in this church at Sardis. So Jesus just tells them in that first verse what the problem is. He doesn't have anything good to say. He just said, you got a lot of activity and a good reputation, but you're just dead as a mackerel. There's no life there. Verse 2, he says, so be watchful. Now he's telling them what to do. He said, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Now there were some in this church that hadn't completely died altogether. They were just on spiritual life support. There's a lot of churches like that. He said that he said those things strengthen those that are ready to die, for I've not found your works perfect before God. When he said be watchful, that means to wake up. The Amplified says, rouse yourself and keep awake. They needed to arouse themselves and be alert and alive to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Word of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is an imperative because here's the problem within many, many churches today and in the lives of many Christians today is they're spiritually asleep. Spiritually asleep. And, and Jesus is saying you need to wake up to be alert 
to be alive to Jesus, to the Word. This is a command. It's an imperative. It's not an option. Jesus is commanding this dying church and dying believers to be watchful and make sure you're spiritually awake and spiritually alive. Jesus taught this all through his earthly ministry. In Matthew 24, 42, he says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. We're living in that day that the Lord could come at any time as a thief in the night, but a lot of God's people are sound asleep, spiritual, spiritually asleep. They're lethargic. They're complacent. They're satisfied. And Jesus is saying, shake yourself. Wake yourself. Listen. Listen. We've got churches today and church members that are just like Samson. They're asleep in the lap of Delilah. And he's saying, you got to wake up and strengthen yourself and strengthen those that remain. Do you know what he's saying? These that remain need a revival. That's why I'm all about revival and, and reviving and restoring and refreshing and renewing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't have revival and movings and operations of the Holy Spirit and altar services and prayer times and prayer meetings, we will become complacent. We will become asleep. We will get our mind on other things and wind up not being ready and knowing when the Lord comes for his church. Amen? He says, strengthen those things that are ready to die, that remain and are ready to die. They needed new life. He said this in verse 3, Remember therefore how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch. Okay, here we go. Now he's going to talk about his coming. He's talking to a church that is dead. He's talking to a church that is spiritually asleep. And he says, you need to arouse yourself and wake up. And if you don't, he said, you need to repent. And if you do not watch, I will what? Come on you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You know what he's telling them? You're not ready for the rapture. He gives them a challenge, he says, for them to remember where they were, how close to the Lord and spiritually alive they one time were, and to realize how far they have slipped backwards and declined, and remember how you used to hear his word and love his word and were richly endowed with the things of the Spirit, but now you're bankrupt of his spiritual power. He said, remember that and, and hold fast to those old paths and acknowledge and confess your sin. Get back in the prayer meetings. Get back in the worship. Get back into the way you used to be with me and get woke up and revived and alive in the Lord Jesus. Get a hold of that original spirit and anointing that you one time had. Amen? How many is enjoying the book of Revelation so far? Amen? 
We're going to get into some things in Revelation. But you know what Jesus is doing here? He's getting the church ready for chapter 4 and verse 1, which is the rapture of the church. He's getting them ready. And he's trying to get us ready today. Amen? He said to repent, turn from that sin, stir up the flame and set, get set ablaze. And he said this, if you will not watch, I'll come to you as a thief. If you don't make things right, it'll, I'll come unexpectedly. Again, they were not ready for his coming. And this is where so many churches are today, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of our mainline denominations don't even believe in the rapture or in the millennial reign. They say that these teachings are all allegorical, that they're just they're not, not literal, not to be taken literally. So many denominations that do believe and teach that. That the book of Revelation is not to be taken literal. And we told you the very two weeks ago, the very first night that we begin this, that we take a, a, a literal futuristic interpretation of the book of Revelation. It's not a story. It's not an allegory. But there are so many today, folks, that don't believe Jesus is coming back. They don't believe in a rapture. They're not awake and they're not looking for it. And Jesus will come on those people and on all of them as a thief. They'll be caught off guard and won't know that the rapture has taken place until it is too late. I don't want to be one of those that wake up one morning and turn the TV on and the news is on and there's thousands or millions of people that have disappeared and we don't know what's happened and there will be pandemonium. I don't want to be here then. I want to be dancing around the throne. Verse 4, he says, you have a, here again, a few names in Sardis who've not defiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Again, a faithful remnant that, that is there in Sardis, and Jesus commends them. But notice there are only a few. A few. There were not many that were undefiled. And it's always been this way, church. Few describes the godly compared to the others that are ungodly. Jesus said that when he talked about that straight gate and that broad way and that narrow way, he said that on that straight and narrow way, there would be few that would find it. There was few, Peter said, that got on Noah's ark. Eight got on there. Few were saved. And that's the way that it's going to be. There were few in this church. But you know what? Listen. Woo! Those few, he said, have not defiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. You know what? There was a few that still believed in holiness. There was a few that had not defiled their garments. And I'm going to tell you what, that, that holiness way, separated way, is not ever going to be a popular way of life in this world. But I'm telling you, it's the right way. It's the Bible way. It's the best way. And it is the way to heaven. Praise God. Amen. Oh, he said, those who have kept, my, kept that faith, that are faithful to me, they're going to walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Isn't that awesome there that 
Jesus says that those that are born again and washed in the blood and living for him, he has made us worthy to escape the things that are coming on this earth. Five and six, and we're done. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. That's the righteousness of the saints. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. That's a key right there. I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here's the promise to those who overcome. You will not have your name blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. Now, I know there's some that says that it's impossible to have it blotted out, but if that's the case, then why would Jesus make a false threat here? This is not a false threat. Amen. He is saying that if you don't overcome, your name will be blotted out of the book of life. I don't want mine blotted out. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, God doesn't have an eraser on his pencil, and he can't erase your name. And I said, no, but he's got a blotter. <laughs> he can blot it out, and that's what he said that he would do. He told Moses the same thing in Exodus 33. He said, God said, he that has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So the overcomers will not be blotted out of the book of life. Amen.